Today's scripture comes from Matthew 28, and it's verses 16 through 20. And it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. This is the word of our Father. We are in a series as we prepare to launch into our city that we're calling Disciples of All Nations, and we're focusing on this passage, Matthew chapter 28. If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, I hope that you know this passage. It is a very, very famous passage. It is what Jesus said to the disciples before he ascended to heaven. He's already gone to the cross. He has paid for our sins with his blood on the cross. He has resurrected, and now he's going to ascend to heaven. And this is his command. This is what scholars and pastors throughout the ages have called the Great Commission. Now, two weeks ago, Revive Church, I gave you a message about this. And in, in a lot of ways, this is a kind of continuation of that message. And I especially wanted to talk today about how this passage is so important for immigrants. <laughs> That's what I want to talk about today. Um, this is the command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's the way Jesus put it. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So they will then be able to obey everything that I have taught. But that's the command. Most churches today, we're not very good at this. When we think about baptizing you know, the nations, going there to make disciples of the nations, historically what has happened in the church is people have thought that the nations are somewhere over there. Most nations are monoethnic. There's only one culture. There's only one ethnicity, one type of people in most nations. Maybe sometimes they have two or three. You know, they have a dominant ethnicity, and then sometimes they have minorities. You know, you have that in a lot of countries. But America is a kind of special country that's made up of all kinds of nations. But even in America... Even in America, most of America is not an all-nations kind of place, right? <laughs> now, I don't know. If you, many of you, were, if you've been lived, lived, lived in America, you've probably lived in the Bay Area. <laughs> the Bay Area is a strange place. It's not like most of America. I've driven across this country three times. Um, it's a really big country. <laughs> it's 3,000 miles, so I, I guess I've done at least you know, 9,000 miles of driving. And um, when you get to the middle of the country, you have all these towns, and actually you don't have to drive very far outside of San Jose to see this. You just drive 30 or 40 or 50 miles outside of San Jose, and you'll start to feel what most of America is like. Most of America is like most of the countries around the world. It is a mono-ethnic place, one nation of one people. But so... Throughout history, when people have read this passage, and I said this to you, I said this to you two weeks ago, when Jesus first gave this command, he told all these men, they're all Jews. 
they know they're supposed to go out and make disciples of all the nations. And I told you last week, they didn't do it. <laughs> if you read the beginning of the um, book of Acts, only Jews first become saved. And then the way Jesus caused them to obey this, because they did not obey this. Most people, when they think about becoming Christians and doing Christianity, doing our faith, they think about only doing it with our, with our people, the people who, have, who are, come from my, my blood and my history and my heritage. But, and back then, it wasn't like these 11 disciples were super special. They fully understood what Jesus was saying and they believed everything. No. They're like you. They're like me. They got to be with Jesus for three years. They saw a lot of amazing miracles. But then Jesus ascended to heaven, and then they didn't do it. They did not do this. You know how Jesus got the church to begin to reach the nations? He let one of the best of the early leaders, his name is Stephen, or some of us call him Stephen. He was murdered, and persecution started in Jerusalem. And then all the Christians, they were all Jews at this time. They're all Jewish, but they believe in Jesus. They scattered and then the, finally, some of them started to tell the Gentiles, the non-Jews, about Jesus. And this starts in Acts chapter 11 in the city of Antioch. Now, when I came to this church, or when I came to San Jose many years ago, and I served at San Jose New Hope, and then our church was planted out of San Jose New Hope, it was always my dream that the English congregation of San Jose New Hope would not just be a church for Koreans. It's, an, it's a Korean immigrant church, but I know, and it's hard sometimes to see, like, you know, most of the kids, they grow up and they think they're Korean. I'm Korean. You know, they eat Korean food at home and their parents are Korean, but they probably don't really speak Korean. My, like, my kids don't really speak Korean. They only know, like, about 20 words, <laughs> and, and about 15 of them are food, okay? <laughs> you know, that's what they know, okay? Those, those are the words they know, right? Because really, even though their face is Korean, and uh, their blood is Korean, really they're American. <laughs> and for me, and so, you know, like, I knew that because, like, I, I know I'm Korean, and it, I would walk into my church. This is my church, my family. I love my church, New Hope. And they looked at me, most of them, especially the first church, I think some of them realized he's Korean, but he's kind of, like, really not Korean. <laughs> right? A, a lot of you? Some of you who are here, you, you, know, you know what I mean. But all your children, they're just like that, right? And all their friends, well, they're Chinese or they're Mexican or they're like half white and half Mexican. I mean, that's, that's with all their friends. And then your coworkers are Indian and they're from the nations. We don't live in a time anymore where... You know, many years ago, if you did church, if you're going to obey this passage, the only way you can do this, obey this passage, the mission of the Great Commission is some people in your church have to radically believe this passage and then they go do something crazy. They have to go to another country. <laughs> and very likely, they don't come back. And there's a good chance maybe they get killed over there and you don't even hear from them anymore. You know, your church will pray for them. Maybe you will gather a bunch of money. They, you'll give them a lot of supplies. And they're going to go to a faraway country. And if you're lucky, you'll get a letter. 
in six months. If you're lucky, you'll get a letter in six months. If that country has no post office, and a hundred years ago, there was no post office, um, there will be no letter sent back to you. So, you know, most of the people in this room, you know, you're, if you came to know Jesus, you, your ancestors or you yourself were born somewhere else. And so somebody from another country had to come to your country to tell you the gospel, to tell your people the gospel. Maybe it was your, in my case, it was my great-great-grandfather, okay? So I'm fifth-generation Christian, and my great-great-grandfather heard the gospel from a white guy from America. <laughs> and he was a blind fortune teller, and he made his money telling people lies. <laughs> okay, that's how, I mean, he was really good at it, apparently. And who knows, maybe he had some kind of demonic powers. It's very possible, right? And, um, but when he heard about Jesus, he gave all that up. He threw that away. <laughs> he threw that away. And because of that, faith flowed down in my family. And today, I, I believe in Jesus. But now, I'm not in Korea. I'm in a different land. And if we're going to obey this passage, what's very, very relevant today is this thing called immigration. <laughs> because now, today, if you're going to reach the nations, you don't have to go over there. <laughs> you don't actually have to go over there. Um, they come over here. And we live in a very, very special place. This is a place where the nations come. And this passage is everything what Revived Church is going to be about. So that's just the introduction, okay? <laughs> I want to give you three, three points. Part one, the importance of immigrants for the kingdom of God, right? The importance of immigrants for the kingdom of God. Part two, looking for Junya. You're like, who's Junya? I will tell you. She's a very, very special lady, right? And we're looking for her. Revived Church is looking for a girl, maybe a boy. We're gonna, I'm going to call him Junya, but Junya is a real person. And I'll tell you about her and why she's so important, right? And part three, the beautiful family of God for the world. The beautiful family of God for the world. Let's go part one. Um, two weeks ago, Revive Church, I told you about a pastor who changed my whole way of looking at, of looking at church. So this is like many years ago when we were living in Philadelphia, we were attending a church called New Life Presbyterian Church of Glenside. I told you about this and I want to tell you about this again because it's so important for Revive Church. Uh, I actually forgot his name, and so I, at that moment, I kind of had a blank, and I couldn't remember his name, but his, his name is Bill Crispin. Bill Crispin is an old man now. I'm not sure how old he is. He must be about, he must be in his 80s. I think he's still alive. And Bill Crispin is a longtime pastor in inner city Philadelphia. And um, so have you, any of you heard of a guy named Timothy Keller? He's a little more famous, right? When Tim Keller worked on his demon. So he went to Westminster Seminary. He, he, was, uh, he was a pastor in Virginia. And then he went to Philadelphia to work on a doctorate in ministry. And you know who his, his uh, doctorate advisor was? Bill Crispin. <laughs> Bill Crispin isn't famous, but he's brilliant. And when he sees the Bible, 
And then he looks at the world through the lens of the gospel. He sees things that most people don't see. (laughs) And Bill Crispin came to this church that we were at, New Life Presbyterian Church, and he said this thing which completely just, like, it made my mind explode. He said this. He said, many years ago, if you want to reach, I think he said, North Africans, you have to go to North Africa. (laughs) And then who knows if... Who knows if they'll pay attention to you because, you know, most of the church, this church that we were attending was mostly white. It's like maybe 95% white. A few African-Americans and then, you know, a couple of Koreans like us. And then he said, if you're going to go to North Africa, that's the way you have to go. But today, North African immigrants come to Philadelphia. (laughs) And if you want to reach North Africans, you just have to go to that neighborhood (laughs) in Philadelphia and offer them friendship and love, and servanthood, build relationships, share with them the gospel, some of them will get saved. And then, when they visit their family in North Africa, they will share the gospel much better than we can. That's what he said. This is how global mission is going to work. And as soon as I heard that, I had this reaction. When I was growing up, I grew up in like, you know, sometimes the Korean church was a little bigger. It was a Korean immigrant church. And mostly, so this is how it felt like. Our church believes in Jesus. Over there, it's all in Korean. Sometimes they would send somebody in English down to the kids to teach us the Bible. And most of the time, um, they didn't, honestly, right? The church I grew up in had really almost nobody teaching us the Bible in English. So I grew up bored. <laughs> I, I, I didn't really even hear the gospel. And then I grew, and then I, as I began, I, I did come to hear the gospel. I believe in Jesus. But mostly I felt like it was this thing that happened in this little place. And I knew that people around the country believed in Jesus. I thought that basically the white folks in America who knew Jesus, they really know how to do it. And our Korean little church You know, we're just this little place for Koreans. That's how I felt. And so I always felt like, what can the immigrant, you know, I I didn't even think of us as an immigrant church. I just basically thought of us as a Korean church. I was like, what can Korean churches do? This is America. Koreans are over there in the little corner. And the white Americans, they do all the amazing things for God. (laughs) You know, the famous pastors, you know, when I was younger, it would be somebody like Chuck Swindoll. He was on the radio. My dad listened to Chuck Swindoll <laughs> on the radio when we were going to church. And, and then later, you know, today we have, then there's John Piper is now famous. You know, Rick Warren is one of the most famous pastors in the world. And of course, there's Tim Keller. And I always thought, you know, it's the white Americans. They're the ones who really know how to do this. But in the Korean church, what can we do? Until Bill Crispin said what he said. And as soon as the first time he said this thing, I realized he completely changed the way I thought about church. I realized that if you live in America, and this is like your country, I'm an American, but you only know how to reach Americans, then you can't do this, you can't do this, obey this, unless except by sending them out. You're not going to do it very well, right? This great commission from Jesus. But if you grow up and you are an immigrant, if you're an immigrant. So maybe you're a first generation, but especially if you're like me, a second generation immigrant. 
If you're an immigrant, you always know what it feels like that you have one foot in one culture and one foot in another. You know that feeling all the time. And so you're going, you meet other people who are immigrants, you know what they know. <laughs> you know how they feel. You know that they speak a language at home and eat food at home that nobody else eats outside. You know that they have a perspective that sometimes they walk into the society and they feel, they feel like they're homeless. You know that feeling. And so when you go into their world, you have just an advantage. It's a huge advantage. <laughs> you, know, you know that if you are bilingual or bicultural, your ability to obey this passage from Jesus, this word from Jesus, go make disciples of the other nations. You have an advantage to be able to do this in a way that the regular, other, other, the regular churches do not. So I want to say something here. Um, when I grew up, I, a long time, I've been in, in, the, in the Korean immigrant church, I've been for a long time what we call an EM pastor, English ministry pastor. It's a strange role. Because immigrants come to America, and then, you know, you, you feel like you're an outsider into the, into the culture. Of course, because you are. And then you want to believe, you want to practice your faith, and so you start a church that's going to speak, you know, in my case, it was Korean, so it could be Chinese. You know, my, in, in my um, friend's case, they speak Mandarin at his church. Some of my other uh, Chinese pastor friends, they, they, have, they, they don't even just speak Mandarin. They speak man, Mandarin in this room. They speak Cantonese in this room, and then they speak English in that room, right? So they have to have a Mandarin ministry, a Cantonese ministry, and an English ministry. It's even more complicated than in a Korean immigrant church. But when I was an English ministry pastor, this is how I always felt. Koreans feel like second-class citizens in America. Okay, that, that makes sense. I felt like a second-class citizen in the second-class citizen's church in America. That's how I felt. I'm the pastor for the English-speaking people who are second-class citizens in this church of the people who feel like they're second-class citizens in the country. <laughs> and that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with doing that because God wants the gospel to go to every people. You know, there's lots of people in our society. You, they speak perfect English. Maybe because they are black or maybe because they are poor, they feel like second-class citizens in our society. Do you know that? Sometimes they feel like third-class citizen or fourth. Or, or if I'm a citizen, nobody cares about me. That's common. And you all know that's true. And do you know that God does, does not care? The world says you're nothing. But to Jesus, he loves you and he died for you. And so for me to be a pastor for an English-speaking congregation, I, I, I never, it never bothered me, okay? Because God loves them. But I always felt like, you know, hey, hey guys, we're not second-class citizens in the kingdom. <laughs> in America, because we look at what people say, what man says to you, people look at you and they have more or less respect for you depending on the status inside of society, right? But... Before Jesus, we're not second class. I want to actually um, make an argument. If you are a 1.5 generation immigrant or a second generation or a third generation immigrant, you're not second class in the kingdom mission. You're right at the top of the class. 
you have a chance to do an incredible thing. And as God, he sent his son to shed his blood to reach every nation. <laughs> and who can he send to reach those people? It's the immigrants. The immigrants come, but who can reach them? The immigrants who believe in Jesus are the ones who can reach them. Now that's the great upside. So that's the first thing I want to say is the great, great upside. But I want to tell you something else. There is a downside. The downside is this thing I told you. You know, you're in a church. Everybody looks like they're supposed to be Korean or Chinese or, you know, go to the Mexican church. It's like they're Mexican. The ones who speak English, but their parents speak, you know, the important stuff happens over there in Spanish. They feel like they're second class. This is the problem with immigrants. The, there's an upside with immigrants. In the kingdom, they can cross more cultures. They can talk to more people. They can have more friendships with more people than people who only know one culture. That's very, very powerful. But there's also something, that's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a pain point. The weakness is they grew up and mom and dad say we're Korean or Chinese or whatever cult, uh, ethnicity is. But then you go out into society and we're American and does that mean I'm supposed to become more white? Some of the Korean kids grow up and then they, they don't want to be white, they want to be more black. <laughs> you know, so then they listen to hip hop and then you, you, you know, they dress you know, more like that, right? And then some of them want to be more Mexican, right? And then it, it's getting so weird now now that, you know, the, 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 the Vietnamese kids, they watch Korean drama and they want to be more Korean. <laughs> it's getting really weird, okay? Um, but, but the downside is if you grow up, you don't know who you are. <laughs> Am I Korean? Doesn't seem like I'm really Korean. I'm kind of Korean. You go, Am I American? Gosh, I don't really know how to fit in here either. And so the hard and painful part is immigrants, especially 1.5 and second, especially third generation immigrants, you know, they're homeless. <laughs> they don't have a place that they know is their home. And you know what we want this church to say? What this church is for? To all these homeless, it's a brokenness. It is a wound. If you don't know where your family is and where your people are, where the people, they know you, you're with us, we love you, you feel really lost in the world. <laughs> and that's a really big and hard and painful thing. But we know where in a, in a land like this where there's a lot of lost people, they're lost, they, they're, you know, they're from the Philippines, but they live here now. Mom and dad think they're Filipino, but their children are not so sure. Their grandchildren, I don't know if I'm really very Filipino, but you know where they're going to find their home? And then they run around the world and they feel lost. I don't belong here. I don't belong here. These people don't know me here. These people don't know me here. But you know where they can always be home? With Jesus. <laughs> With God. In his house. In his family. And we need a church in a city of nations, of really, like, people that are super promised for the kingdom, their potential is just through the roof. <laughs> All around the people you see here, if they will meet Jesus, their potential for the kingdom of God is absolutely tremendous. Do you know that? Do you know that your children, every child that walked out of this room into the children's ministry, 
they have a chance to be one of the most incredible workers, one incredible missionaries for the kingdom of God. And they don't even have to go anywhere. They can do it right here. <laughs> but inside there's a brokenness. And they need that hole, that homelessness to be filled up with the home of Christ. <laughs> now let's go to part two. Part two. Um, part two is looking for Janya. Okay, who is Janya? <laughs> who is Janya? Um, two weeks ago, church, I told you that in the Bible, how does God reach the nations? You're like, I'm, I'm not very good at this. It's true. Most of us are not very good at connecting to somebody in a different culture. They have a different skin color. They eat weird food. I don't understand your clothes. I don't understand your language. It's, it's not easy. It's hard. How did God do this in the Bible? This is the, God's way in the Bible. God called a man named Paul. Paul is Jewish, but in his culture, he's not Jewish. He's Hellenistic. He's Greek. His skin color, his blood, everything is Jewish. But if you scratch below, he's Greek. You know, when I think of Paul, you know how I think of him? I think, oh, he's just like me. On the outside, Korean. <laughs> Scratch me underneath, red, white, and blue. <laughs> All this America spills out. That's just like Paul. And then Paul, he discipled a young man. His mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek. And do you know whose name is? His name is Timothy. And Timothy, when he preached to the Greeks, they would run to him and get saved. <laughs> and so Timothy became one of the most importantly, so Paul was murdered. He died. He died through martyrdom. But Timothy grew to an old age and became one of the greatest leaders, and he reached all the Greeks. That's God's way. <laughs> it's another generation. So our church cares very much about reaching, crossing not only over the cultures, but looking forward into the future generations. And so that's Paul's way. God's way, he took a Paul who reached a Timothy and Timothy can reach a nation that Paul cannot reach. Hmm? Do you know that God is still doing this? <laughs> this is God's way. So let me give you an example. There's a, there's a woman named Junya. Her name is Junya Huang, right? She's not Korean. <laughs> her last name is Korean, but she's not Korean. So in our church, and some of you at New Hope, you know who this is. Junya Huang um, is a missionary that we support. And uh, Junya Huang is Thai. So she, you know, she's born in Thailand, grew up in Thai, and her, her parents became Christians. So missionaries came from America, went to Thailand. I mean, it's just a lot, it's a lot like my great-great-grandfather, right? Came to Thailand, they came, heard the gospel, they believed in Jesus. They looked at her, her, her their daughter, they had a daughter. Her name is Junya. Junya is pretty. And very, very smart. And she has a heart for Jesus, a really powerful heart for Jesus. So the missionaries asked her parents, can we send her to America? <laughs> can we send her to America and send her to Christian school there and go to seminary there and we'll train her up to reach Thailand? Can we do that? And they said, yes. And then they asked Junior, would you like to go? Can you imagine? They sent their daughter all the way back to America 
And then Junya Huang, well, her name wasn't Huang. I can't remember her, her, um, her maiden name, all right? She came all the way to America. And um, when she was in school, she met a nice boy. <laughs> she met a nice godly uh, boy, and his name was J.J. Huang. He's Korean-American. He's a 1.5 generation Korean-American Korean immigrant, came to the U.S. I think he was only like maybe 12 years old. He, he's fluent bilingual. He can speak English, and he can speak Korean, and he fell in love with Junya. And then they went to seminary together, and God called them back to Thailand. When Junya was young, when she was still in college, she was in Thailand, and she would go to the hospital. Because back then, at this time, um, as you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of sex trafficking in Thailand. You know, girls and boys, too, are sold to be sold as slaves and prostitutes. And you know about this. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And back then, a lot of the, these kids would have sex with various different people, and then they get AIDS. <laughs> and then these babies would be born with AIDS. And Junya would hold these babies, and she would cry. And she would say to God, what can be done? What can be done? And what the Lord said to her was, you have to reach the whole country. <laughs> you have to reach the whole country. You can't save these babies. But if you would reach another generation and reach the country, Thailand could get Jesus to be their king. And no more could this, and sex, this evil of sex trade can be pushed back and no more will babies have to die with AIDS. That's what she heard. And so today, you know, JJ and Junya Huang, they lead this ministry in Thailand. So they went back from, you know, from the U.S. So JJ Huang, he lived, I mean, he speaks fluent Thailand. He's been living in Thailand for many years. And they went into the poor villages and started a ministry to train them up from when they're very, very young so that then they can go off to college and then they can become, they can become among the most educated and best people in their society and start a movement to reach the whole nation. That's Jenny Wong. Now let me say something to you. Isn't she an amazing lady? <laughs> She's one of the most incredible people. When I meet Jenny Wong, I feel like She's a great giant in the kingdom. I'm nothing. <laughs> That's how I feel. When I meet her, I was like, you're great. I'm just down here. I will help you. Let me help you, okay? Whatever you need from me, let me try to help you. That's how I feel. Let me tell you something. Revive Church, we're going to meet Zhen Huang, except the Chinese version of Zhen Huang <laughs> and the Indian version of Zhen Huang and the Iranian version of Junya Huang, and the Vietnamese version of Junya Huang. And you know when you meet her? You meet her when she's six years old. You know how Junya Huang start? When they hear about Jesus in VBS when they're six years old. You know how you make a Junya Huang? When she's 11 years old, and 12 years old, and 17 years old. And she professes Jesus. At the beginning, she's like, who's Jesus? <laughs> she's just a cute little girl running around in your church. But then as she starts to grow older, you're like, this kid is special. There's something special about this kid. Can we teach you more of the Bible? Can we give you more of the gospel? 
And then we begin to pour out and we begin to love them and disciple them. Now, so many of us, especially, you know, a lot of the, the of us in this room were Asian, right? And I want to say something to you. Asian culture, especially, is filled with uh, Confucianism. And Confucianism believes in filial piety. The good part of, there's a good part of filial piety. The good part of filial piety is you're supposed to respect those who are older than you. That's a really good part. It totally agrees with the Bible, right? But there's a bad part. <laughs> if you take something good, apart from the Bible and apart from Christ and God's word, there's always a downside. The upside is the young respect the old. The downside is the old do not respect the young. <laughs> That's the bad part. And in Asian cultures, oftentimes, the older look at the younger, and then they're like, you're just a kid. What do you know? <laughs> We're not going to let you do anything. This is, this is the church. Important things happen in the church, right? So we have to let the important people do the important things for God, and you're a kid. You're not one of them. That's a very common attitude in Asian churches. Honestly, it's just a common attitude in all the churches, <laughs> white churches, black churches. But do you know what? Inside the kids, in the children's ministry, in the youth ministry, there's a Jonya Wong. <laughs> and if you will encourage her, and if you will love that kid, that kid might have, be a, have a single mom. <laughs> that kid might have a dad who's an alcoholic. <laughs> but... When you talk to this kid, nothing stops them from following Jesus. You tell them about the Bible, they just eat it all up. When you invite them to church, they're there. <laughs> Mom and dad, they don't care, but they're there. And you see that kid? That's a special kid. <laughs> you know what Revive is looking for? We're looking for the genuines. <laughs> and if we'll just love our neighbors and serve them humbly, and they begin to see that we're not going to hurt them and we're offer them things that will really serve them. I don't know, you know, like um, our Indian neighbors don't seem to be interested in Jesus, but they are interested in coding club, <laughs> you know, coding camp. You know, we went to a Native American reservation. We offered them coding camp and then we got a bunch of kids we never saw before. Do you know the Indians on the reservation are interested in coding camp? But do you know the Indians in San Jose are interested in coding camp? <laughs> My daughter... Two summers ago, she did um, this thing called Girls Who Code. It's an internship for coding. Do you know, like, half the girls there, they were Indian, from India. <laughs> and if we just made friends with some of them and offered them some real servanthood, and some said, do you want to come to church? They're like, you're about God. Tell us about your God. And you share the gospel, some of them will meet Jesus. <laughs> and then it's game on. <laughs> God's game is on. Let me close this message. Um, we live in a city and in a world. It's very divided. America is a, it's more divided than I've ever seen it. You know, the, the Democrats hate the Republicans <laughs> and the Republicans hate the Democrats. And white Americans are afraid of black Americans, and black Americans are afraid of white Americans. And then the, the Mexican-Americans are over here, and the Asian-Americans are over here, and there's all kinds of division. The 
rich people live over here and the poor people live over here and, and, and can we be one nation? Do you know that America has a dream? There's a dream in America. It's, it's a, it might be on your money. <laughs> There's a dream. The dream is out of the many will be one. That's the dream. It's in Latin. Actually, on the money, it doesn't say out of the many will be one. It says e pluribus, out of the many, out of the diverse, unum, one. That's what it says. Do you know that if you walk around America and then our neighbors, many, many people, our hearts, we cry out for this. We long for this. Do you want this? I, I want this. Sometimes we get a little bit of it, you know, like you get to go to, like a, I go to a, one of my favorite pho restaurants, right? And then I eat the pho food and I become friends with the guy who's the owner. And for a little bit, because I like pho and he likes me because I like pho, <laughs> right? Then for a, a, a little brief moment, we have this feeling that maybe we could be more like one. But mostly we know that you're Vietnamese and I'm Korean American and we feel like there's this big gap in between us. Can we really be one? Sometimes the young people, they date each other and then they marry each other. And I, I don't mean to say this to you because it's, it's, it's a bummer, but the divorce rate is high, right? The divorce rate is higher in, in, uh, in, in, in multi-ethnic marriage. It is, right? It's hard. Because it's hard. You know, you think, I love you, you love me, love will fix everything, right? Not unless it has Jesus. <laughs> and then they get in and he's got his culture and she's got her culture and then he's got his thing from her pa his parents and, and then they fight. But that's inside the marriage and then that's going on all throughout society. There's a very famous song. Um, you all know this song. There's a guy, a guy named John Lennon wrote this song. Have you heard this song? Imagine. You know that song? Everybody knows that song. <laughs> if you don't know that song, you, you must live in a hole. <laughs> Everybody knows that song. And it, the very beginning of that song is anti-Christian. It starts like this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. That's how it starts. But if you listen to the song... It's about all these different people coming together. And at the end of the song, it starts like this. And at the very last line of the song, it says, and then what, one day, why don't you come and join us? It's actually a song of evangelism. It's actually what he's doing. He's saying, stop believing in all these other religions, and then we won't fight so much, and then maybe we can... Join, join us, and then this is how the song ends. And the world will be as one. That's how the song ends. And the world will be as one. That's how the song ends. Yeah, don't listen to my singing. <laughs> but the world can't be as one. Apart from Christ, the world will always fight. Even if you don't even hate those other people, it's still hard. <laughs> but you know what? It's just very hard. We, we have the thing that we care about. They don't understand it. And when you get together with them, they don't understand it, so it's very hard to accept that they don't understand it. 
And then we have children. I want my children to have my, my values. It's my culture's values. So then I want you to marry somebody like us who marry. I mean, it makes sense. But not only because of our sins, but also because of our righteousness, because of our culture's righteousness, my culture's righteousness, what's so special about my culture, we're never going to be one if we don't have something bigger and greater than us than God. But God's plan was, actually, God would agree with John Lennon. That's very strange. Except the pathway to be one is totally different than John Lennon. John Lennon's wrong. God said, right here, Matthew chapter 28, the Son of God said, make disciples of all the nations. Bring them together into one family. And how will it happen? It will only happen because the Son of God came down to earth. He was above all cultures. He was the only one that was perfect. He was living in the perfect culture. And he came down to only broken cultures, dying cultures, sinful nations. And all the other cultures, you know what our real problem is? We meet somebody else and we like this about them and we don't like that about them. Everybody's racist, you know that? Don't pretend everybody is, right? Everybody's racist. As soon as you meet the other culture, there's something inside the other culture, you just don't like it. So even inside like the immigrant church, it's hard. It's, I mean, if all the Koreans got together and they can't even do Korean ministry and English, I mean, that's, even that's hard, <laughs> right? And they are the same blood, even that's hard. But you know what's the only thing that can make them one? If the reason we can't be one is because the part that we think is so great, we have to look down on somebody else. You're, you don't meet up to my standard. That's the part. That's the problem why we can't do it. So God came in the, in the form of Jesus. He's the only one that reaches every, the highest standard. And then you know what he did? He made himself lower to be crushed under everybody else's standard. Every nation looked at him and said, we don't like the way you do it. You do it by forgiveness. You do it by grace. You do it with humility. We don't like your humility. And so we, he was killed. But he did not stay dead. The world is always trying to kill this but if we will come and recognize, first of all, it is not, I'm not good enough. <laughs> My righteousness is not good enough. My sins are certainly bad. See, it's not just, Jesus did not just come to pay for our sin. Do you understand this? He came so that if we will come, we will take all the righteousness of our culture and we would sacrifice that on the cross. It would die with him. That's the only way. The only way we can be one is if we take if every nation, we bring our culture and we don't just give it, we don't just give our sins to Jesus, we give our righteousness to Jesus. And we give our righteousness to Jesus and then in humility, we recognize our culture is not good enough. It'll never be good enough. And then when we let our culture die on the cross with Jesus, and then he will resurrect the culture and he'll give it back, washed of our pride 
washed of our sins with his righteousness and with his purity and his heart. And when all the nations come to Jesus and let him wash us, not just of our sins, but of our righteousness, then the world can be as one. Revive Church and any other church that's here, I know some of your names, if you're here, would you please put your culture at the feet of the cross? <laughs> and then say, and then look around our city and look for the Janyas of our city. See, Re Re Revive Church can't be the only church looking for Janya. We need a hundred or a thousand churches looking for Janya. And then the nations will be reached. But we can't be one until we all come to the feet of the cross and his blood washes us and washes our culture and makes our nations new. And then we'll be one. Let's pray. Lord, we all want to stay in our own little comfort place. But you brought us to this crazy place called America. And you brought us to one of the craziest places in America, Silicon Valley. And we are meeting the other nations all the time. In fact, we even eat their food and we love their food. But will we love them? And will we love them enough to put down our pride? To use our Americanness, to use our Koreanness, to use our Chineseness, to use our Mexicanness and put it at the feet of the cross and let you wash our hearts, wash our culture, wash our nation, so that when we meet our neighbors, they can say, you mean we can have a new kind of China? We can have a new kind of India? They don't just want themselves to follow Jesus. I want to meet God and know Jesus. They want all their people to know Jesus. <laughs> they want to know that Jesus offers them a new India and a new Vietnam and a new Iran. And it can happen right here, right in this city and right through this church. This is our dream. This is our prayer. And only you can do it, Lord Jesus, only you. By the power of the cross, give us faith. Give us humility. Help us to sacrifice and help us to take obedience and give us your genius so that the world can be reached. In Jesus' name.